Jackson on the drive, kicks it out for Mann. Mann, three-pointer, bang! Oh, what a man! Magic down the middle, just what I thought, a hook shot at 12, good! Here's Michael at the foul line, a shot on Elo, good! The Bulls win it! They win it! Now that's a steal by Burke, underneath the DJ Lake. Going up over Bell, Paul away! Yes! 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 What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a special pre-playoff episode here on Dime Dropper. I've been looking forward to doing more of these kind of episodes with different content creators, fans of different teams. And for this episode, we're going to be talking about everything that went wrong with the Dallas Mavericks season in 2022-23. And to do that, it's been a long time, very long anticipated for two different Mavs content creators. First, one of my fellow Hoop Spaces partners, Bibs, it's finally nice to get you on the show, man. It's been a minute since we've been talking about this. Yeah, we have. Uh, I'm definitely uh, curious what you got for me today. I'm, I'm, I'm scared, actually. I'm scared. <laughs> and then, SJ, I mean, I've been getting a lot of complaints. Not actually a lot of complaints, but some over the years that I need more female representation. And obviously, every time we do have females on the timeline that I can, that are willing to be on camera and talk ball, I'm always happy to have them on. So, SJ, welcome to the show, also representing Dallas. Yes. Hello. Thank you. It's great to be here. And yeah, unfortunately, we got to unpack the situation in Dallas. So actually, you know what, before we get going, I just want to, you know, since you guys are now on the show for the first time and are part of my rogues gallery, I like to call it, give yourselves a little background, like just like how you guys became Mavs fans, you know, how long you've been supporting the team and the content you make too. You can go Maybe, first. Yeah, oh yeah, go ahead. Oh, I yeah. guess I'm going first. Uh, well, my story is, um, I guess, interesting in that I didn't really care much for basketball, maybe until I was like 12. I had a crush. Long story short, I got into it in order to impress my crush, and I was watching highlights, and I came across Dirk. Oh. And then, yeah, the rest was kind of history. Um, and yeah, I've kind of liked the Mavs since then, really. And in terms of the content I create, I have a podcast on 21 Going On 77. You can find it on all the various streaming platforms, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all of that. And I... I'm also affiliated with the Hoopstresses. Um, so yeah, look out for our content as well. We sporadically post um, every now and then and have spaces every now and then as well. But yeah. yeah, shout out to, before we go to Bibbs, shout out to the Hoopstresses. If you guys remember Dime Dropper fam, last year we had uh, one of them, Nat, for the Warriors uh, Nuggets preview before the playoffs started. And hers actually did better than anybody else's. So go check that out if you want to see uh, – she that aged really well for her that whole Kurt all the curry stuff she was saying at that time, but um, Bibbs, go ahead. Yeah, so my story is pretty much the complete opposite. Um, I've been involved with basketball since pretty much the day I was born. Uh, didn't really have a team in my younger years. I would say around the time I was about ten or so. That was like nineteen ninety eight. Don't don't judge. I, I'm, I know I'm the old man right now out here. He looks so um, young though, Bibbs. It's crazy. <laughs> You know what they say, um, but uh, if you saw the gray hairs, I don't know if they're coming through on the camera. You would you would not be saying that. But uh, around 1998, which was the year Dirk was drafted, I was an Iverson fan. Like I was a little short kid. I was the type to go in amongst the trees as a guard, and so Iverson was my guy. Um, but I also had just gotten like NBA Live, and so NBA Live as a kid, you want to play with the weirdest teams, and so. The 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 Mavericks had seven foot six Sean Bradley, who I had seen in in Space Jam, and then they had this other seven foot dude that could shoot threes, and so that was my team on, on NBA Live. Long story short, you know I was a 76ers and Mavs fan, and eventually it just became all Mavs all day. Um, on the content side, 
Ugh, it's been a long journey. I uh, started out writing a while back. Uh, I actually did a podcast before I knew what podcasts were for uh, the what was, I think it was uh, the Mavs Fanatic. It's now uh, Dallas Sports Fanatic, but Mavs Fanatic, I, I did like a podcast for them. I didn't realize what podcasts were. This was like 2012-ish. It was like audio on SoundCloud or something like that. Uh, but I came back to the podcast game for real, like three years ago or so, started my own podcast, hooked up with Reese, uh, my guy from Baltimore for the Mavs Outsiders two years ago. And, you know, the rest is history. Man, we got a lot of uh, thanks to big number 41, Dirk yeah. Nowitzki. This, this is a very Dirk Nowitzki friendly platform. So let's get right into it, guys. The 2022-23 Dallas Mavericks. I think it has to be said that you guys probably – are the most disappointing team of the season league wide? Would you say? I mean, I think if we lose first round, I mean, we're right in the conversation. <laughs> but the, I mean, not making the play, and nobody could have expected that coming off a Western Conference Finals run. So that gets us into where the story begins: the off season. Jalen Brunson. A lot has been made about this. Obviously, he goes to New York. His dad is over there. Do you think that the Mavs could have done anything differently? And for those that don't know much about the situation, like from a financial side or for the team side, what could Nico Harrison, Mark Cuban, and them done to keep Brunson? Because I, I bet you – I mean, do you guys feel like it was a, a massive loss or no? So yeah. I'll go with Bibbs. Actually, let's go SJ first. Oh, oh I don't know if you – listen. It was – it's – there's a lot of emotions there, especially given that Cuban just went on a – like he ordered a press conference, first of all, that no one asked for. No one asked for him to um, talk about any of this, but he did anyway. Um, and he, you know, starts to blame, you know, Brunson's parents and all this. And here's the thing. They, there's a lot they could have done differently. And they drew a hard line in the sand at a certain number. And they're claiming that they never got New York's number, but that's not true. Um, there's several people, um, like several credible people that have been reported or reporting, you know, that Dallas knew all along, but they wouldn't go past a certain number. And at that point, I don't blame Brunson. Like Brunson, the New York situation is obviously, like in hindsight, we can see that it was a good situation. But even then, it was attractive to a guy like Brunson. Like you said, his father is there. He would have been the lead guard. Um, they had good pieces. Obviously, no one, I wouldn't say no one, but not many people expected them to be this good. But it wasn't inconceivable that they would be okay. So there's a lot. If you push him to look elsewhere, then that's a problem on the Mavericks front office. So Cuban is trying to make himself or paint himself as a victim in the situation. Like he was done wrong by Brunson and they were working from behind trying to change his mind. No, he's in your house. He's been in your house for all this time. And you didn't lock him. You didn't trust his development. So you can't say you didn't get a chance to change it. Like he, you drafted him. You had opportunities to give him the extension. You didn't do it. Regardless of the back and forth about the extension. The point is he was never locked up but you didn't trust his development and you try to spin it as, well, we um going in this direction or we didn't want to do this. Um, small guards next to Luka, fit, Baba. They're trying to spin it anyway. And now when it's clear that we have crumbled basically and to top it all off, New York looks so good and people are asking in press conferences, Luka, who do you miss Brunson? Like that hurts Cuban's ego. That's why we saw that press conference. He had to press the button of saying, oh, I'm blaming the parents, which we knew he was going to do like <laughs> since like last summer that he was going to blame it on his parents. We were just waiting on when he would push that button, and he did. So that was a big loss, and um, whatever Cuban says, he's lying. <laughs> Could you have paid him more bibs? Could you have paid him more than New York did? Yeah, definitely. Um, do you think he would have accepted that considering like everything SJ just said about the opportunity, his dad, like being the main man of the Knicks is pretty – sounds so pretty cool. enticing. So this is the way it played out in my head. Um, so just going back to when he came out of the draft, you know, I always said he would probably have a Kyle Lowry, Kyle Lowry type of career. Like he would go to a team, be a solid backup for a few years, and eventually he would want to run his own show. 
Um, I didn't necessarily think it would have to happen this quick. You know what I mean? Like first contract. But I've, I figured eventually he would want to run his own show. So I was always of the notion that because he's an unrestricted free agent, if you have any inkling, any thought, any idea that he might leave, then it, you probably have to trade him. Um, if if uh, somebody calls and you get a decent offer, you have to trade him. Um, if you aren't going to get an extension done prior to the trade deadline before his free agency, then you have to probably trade him. Because if an if opportunity comes along where he gets to be the guy, the starting, the lead guard for a team, the leader, which is, I mean, his resume speaks for itself in college. Uh, I, it's going to be very enticing for him. And I think we spent the whole year last year uh, saying, you know, the only teams with money are the only team with money is Detroit, really. Like, would he really go to Detroit to go play for a sorry franchise and try to take dig them out of the mud? And I think that that was Mark Cuban's thought as well. Like, he's not going to leave a good situation to go to a team that's been in the lottery for five straight years or whatever. Um, And Mark Cuban, this is what he does. He thinks he's smarter than everybody. He thinks he's the most savvy person ever. He played himself because some people don't believe Brunson's family. They don't believe Brunson. And what Brunson's father said was before the season, they wanted the extension. And they told Mark Cuban, they said, hey, we're not going to sign an extension in the middle of the season. You got to give it to us now. Knowing they didn't have the leverage at that time because uh, Brunson had just gotten benched in the playoffs, right? The the Clippers were too big for him. He couldn't couldn't handle it. He got benched. So they have no leverage. Like he's looked kind of rough in the playoffs. Maybe he's not worth the 456 or whatever. And then his dad was like, we broke our rule. We came back in January and said, all right, we'll take the extension now. And again, he hadn't started popping off yet quite in January. And he was probably feeling a little insecure, like, you know, maybe I was going to try to stick it to him and leave and get the bag, but it don't look like I'm getting the bag right now. So I'll just settle for this money and have the security. And Mark Cuban said no again. And then after the trade deadline passes, now Brunson has all the leverage. Now Brunson is hooping because now you've told him no twice and you've given him incentive to say, okay, fuck you then. I'm going to show you how it's done. Now he's hooping. Now you want to give him this little itty bitty extension. Now his dad is talking to his, his, uh, I think he's his godfather, Leon Rose. I'm not tripping. And and he's like, Hey, we're going to put some stuff in motion. And my son is going to show you what he can do. And he's going to come lead your franchise. And that's what he did. So I personally, I, I have absolutely no hard feel. I actually, I won't say I wanted him to leave because as a mass fan, obviously I want him to stay. But I respect him for leaving to say to Mark Cuban, you played yourself. So safe to say you guys wish you could have kept him and paid him? Yes. All right. So then two guys you did pay. The additions uh, in the offseason, Christian Wood and JaVale McGee. Two extremely opposite players. Um, I I need to hear from you guys how it went because before the season, I don't know where you guys had Dallas. I had you guys finishing fifth. I thought, you know, still Luka, another year of development. Bring everybody back from last year besides Brunson. You get JaVale McGee and Wood. Got a nice pick and pop big for Luka off the bench. And then you got JaVale, who was a good backup for Phoenix last year. And now, uh, yeah, and obviously really good in L.A. a couple years ago over here for the Lakers. How have the, did those two signings go? I'm going to start with SJ. And if you totally agree with Bibbs, we can just move past it. But go for it, SJ. We're both. <laughs> Sounds like a failure by the expressions. I mean, he's – I mean, everyone – I want to say everyone, but – if you are familiar with me, you probably know I'm not a Wood fan. Never been a Wood fan. Um, this has, you know, spanned since before he has been on the team. Then we trade for him. And I am just not a believer. I'm not going to go too much on that tangent um, with this, but his archetype of player, like this tweener big who can't defend, I'm just not a fan of those in at least in the situation that Dallas should be in, which is a winning situation, right? And JaVale McGee, that was a disaster from the mo- Like, the fact that we had been talking about for weeks, this is where the pain was as a Mavs fan. For weeks, we, on the timeline, have been discussing targets for that, um, you know, uh, TPMLE, talking about it, what wings we could get. We were talking about this person, that per, and the first name out of free agency we hear connected to him is Jim McGee. This is after we're losing Brunson. 
it's being reported that we're losing our guy. Um, he just averaged 22 for us in the playoffs. We're losing him for no- like nothing, like not even fucking Alex Bergson, the second round pick, nothing. <laughs> and Javel McGee is the first name we heard. Like I was pissed. So that, and it's given the fact that we just played him off the floor. Javel, we played the Suns, and we played that they played Bismack Biombo in that game seven over Javel McGee. That's how bad we played him off the floor. And that's the guy you run to sign to give a three-year deal with a player op- with a player option. They were like, uh, you know what? Whatever. That happened, and I am just I was just shocked at them deviating from what like regard their plan wasn't working right, and we knew they needed to do something different. But what they did differently was something that could just could not work. Regardless, like you get a big who. I don't think Nico and um, Kid were on the same page there because you traded a first for this guy who Kid didn't seem to like from like day one. From day one, he was like, he's coming off the bench. Like, where, you know, he had a very short leash, um, was not playing him in closing units, all that. And you traded a first for this. I don't care if it was a 26 pick. I don't care if you got a guy who you would have taken in that spot anyway in Hardy. I don't care. <laughs> um, you like, that's just a waste of assets. And the offseason scared me as a fan because they it shows that they don't know what they're doing. And before, that was the thing. I could give them credit. Even though what they were doing had a ceiling, there was a vision to it. Last offseason just completely destroyed all. Like, it was just chaos. Like, they didn't know what they were doing. And that carried on into the season, really. So um, it was just mis-evaluation after um, mis-evaluation. And it was just... A clown show, and it was fitting that it ended the way it did, really. So, um, I'm happy that it did, and now they're in a bind, and I would like to see them get out of it. So, this I heard that Christian was not coming back next season. Is, do you guys believe that? Yes. Uh, it's it's been think, over for a while. It's been, um, yes, I've been ooh, waiting for that day. I'm sorry, I'm so excited. Like, so Bibbs, if you have anything else, you know, also expand on like why they were so bad on the court. I mean, in Christian Woods' no. case, he can't defend and pick and roll, I guess, but was he as good offensively as you expected? And as for JaVale McGee, like the JaVale McGee, JaVale McGee that my subscribers know is an athletic, rim protecting big that blocked shots and caught lobs for the Lakers. So, like, you got to give me the. And every time, in fairness, when I watched him play this season, he was the same JaVale McGee I remembered. Whatever game I didn't watch, like all the other 65 or whatever, he was apparently garbage. But at first 10 games, he was starting, and then he got taken out of the starting lineup. So it was a clearly a quick thing to see. The entire season was a comedy of errors. Um, the offseason was a comedy of errors, and then the, the season, just it just snowballed pretty much the entire year. Uh, let's start with... SJ said the the philosophy of of what their plan was. You know, people people like myself, SJ, we're sitting down, we're we're putting the charts together, we're putting out plans, and this is the type of player we need. And this day, I don't think they did that in the office. Like, <laughs> it was pretty much like you know what, Javal was we we got destroyed on the glass in the playoffs. Javal McGee's tall, and I know him, and they called Javal McGee. Not it's if you had just signed Javale McGee, what what most teams they go get a big like that? They're giving them a veteran minimum contract for right. one year, maybe two, if they're being nice. We gave him the MLE for in a player option three years, and he's thirty four. Your star is like twenty three. What are you doing? Then we get the the notification. Theo Pinson, we signed him on a two-way. It was all cool. He was fun on the bench, whatever. You know, and it was cute. And then they changed the rule to where if he he was doing what he was doing on the bench this year, it was going to be problems for us. He was ineligible for a two-way, so I was like, all right, cool. Theo Pinson's gone, whatever. They excitedly announced that Theo Pinson's coming back. So that's another roster spot. The Christian Wood thing came out of nowhere. I didn't know how to feel initially. I if I look at what he what he actually did versus what I expected from him, he was better than I expected as far as talent. Like he's a legitimate bucket. Like he gets buckets. I, I, it looks ugly. It's slow motion, but he gets buckets. 
what SJ said about his archetype, 100% true. I put him in that kind of cat category, like a, a cat light, to where, yes, he can score points. It can look pretty or whatever. When you look at a stat sheet at the end of the day, if he's playing a big role, but at the, but he's also not going to be a guy that can anchor your defense, and he's not a guy you can depend on as, like, Ant is the guy in Minnesota, in my opinion. Cat, cat is cool or whatever, but he's not that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with, at his level with his background, he's never going to get the role that he would need to have the impact that he thinks he can have on a team. Um, and I think SJ, when I was listening to y'all, I, I agree with the idea that he probably is best served as a six man type bucket getter off the bench on a good team. You wouldn't want to bring him back for that role. If you had, let's say you had a different coach that kind of liked him more. Well, SJ does. She's, a, she, she's asking about the wood stance. SJ does not like Wood. She did not like him before. She has no reason to like him now. He doesn't even believe that's his role. That's the pro- that's where the contention that's- lies. He doesn't think he's a six <laughs> man off the bench. That's, so that's where issues lie. But whatever. So if if we do get the, so we're trying to get the interview with him this summer. If we do, that's def- that's one. That's the first question on my list. It's not gonna be the first thing I ask him. But that's the main thing I want to know is what he thinks he should be doing on a on a NBA team because I'm I'm very curious if if his mind has gotten to a point where he accepts that he's not going to be a superstar or whatever. Um all that said t- roster was built horribly. All of us said we needed another guard off the bench. Team decided we didn't need another guard off the bench. We got Frank Nilakina at home. Josh Green is going to be our ball handler. What was that sound bite? People forget about Frank. People forget Nick about Frank. That. Yeah, Nick always plays that. But so wait, you still haven't answered though. What was JaVale McGee so bad? He just couldn't get up the floor anymore. He's bad at being a role. I honestly, I'll be 100% honest. In the beginning of the season, it looked very ugly. Like Luca was legit, would stop in the middle of the play and look at the bench, like, get this motherfucker off the court. And I just think it was chemistry issues. Like I, they didn't have chemistry. Could he have held down a Zubak a couple years ago type role where he's playing 10, 15 minutes and just got in the way a little bit sometimes? Probably, but Jason Kidd, after the first couple weeks, after getting cussed out by Luca during the games, he just completely folded and removed him. Dwight Powell went from not playing to starting again, and that was the end of the JaVale McGee saga uh, from there. He just, Jason Kidd's lack of inventiveness with his roster, his inability to try to mold what we do to the player and personnel that he had is why it got as bad as it got over time. Like he just fell back to Luca do everything. And I'm going to just throw random bodies around you from time to time. You know, a, a guy might earn a starting spot and then I might take it from him for no reason and mess with his confidence. Like just stuff, just random decisions, Jason Kidd. I think uh, I just say Jason Kidd just be doing shit. Like that's 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 what the season was. So you guys were, I want to say, what, five or six around the time that around Kyrie's trade, um, somewhere around there, like five, six, seven or eight seed. I remember you guys had a lot of problems about, Jason Kidd, even before Kyrie had come this season, and granted, last season everybody was praising Jason Kidd. He got them to the com- you know made your defense a lot better. You got to the conference finals, and it seems like kind of a repeat of Milwaukee in the second year. Just kind of everything went to shit. Um, I want to ask SJ first, I guess, what things did you have a problem with Jason Kidd from the basketball side this season before Kyrie Irving? Like, what was year two Kidd versus year one? And then before you answer that, what, what did you guys have real quick, like the Mavs seeding going into the season, like with that roster, only Spencer and Lucas, like the real ball handlers, Christian Wood and JaVale, no Brunson. Like what was your pick for them? I had this as, as the sixth seed. So I was one six of seed. the yeah, Mavs fans that were – I was a little lower on the team. A lot of people had us as like – at least in the Mavs fandom. Um, had us as like three – I saw us as three – four, five, like, I had a six. I was I was weary of the roster because I acknowledged that it was fucking weird roster construction. Um, but with that being said, I mean, Kid, I feel like from day one, we should have known that um, as much as we call him a player's coach, all of that, and one of his supposed strengths is him essentially managing egos. I don't think that was successfully done this season, especially when you look at from day one training camp where Wood is saying, oh, yeah, I didn't know I was coming off the bench. Like, I'm hearing this from you guys. And then it's like, oh, well, assistant coaches, the coaching staff should have told him. And it's like there was miscommunication from the jump. 
And I think that should have been kind of an omen to what the season would have been or would be like because you have, you know, JaVale starting and like Bibbs was saying, Luca is like frustrated. And it was like there's several videos of him just like, and that's the thing, Luca could be better about this. Like at the end of the day, like you could be frustrated and not like show it that outwardly because if we are seeing it like on, I'm sure everyone else, I'm sure everyone has eyes, everyone is seeing what you're doing. And, um, you know, that's happening. And I feel like even before the trade, one thing that I, I feel like there's things that he's getting blamed for that is not really his fault. And there's things that he's definitely getting blamed for that is his fault. I feel like clutch offense is kind of like one of the common issues. And I give him a lot of blame for that. Just no type of creativity, like whatsoever, like at all. I have not seen it, <laughs> you know, and it's just, you know, kind of disappointing at this point, especially given that they lost a good assistant coach and the replacements. I'm not seeing where we're, we were getting an upgrade. It looks like we downgraded there and it showed on the court because Jason Kidd is not an X's and O's. Every, we've acknowledged this. He's more a player's type coach and, you know, development, all that. So if you're losing your X's and O's assistants and not replacing them with, you know, ones of better quality or even equivalent quality, we're seeing what we're seeing, like, at the end of games. And um, I think defensively, he there's nothing he could have really done. <laughs> that, that yeah, I was going to ask about that. Defense. You guys were, what, sixth in the league defensively last year? Now you're 23rd. And it's relatively a lot of the same personnel. Because they got – here's the thing. Last year – and here's the thing why his defense always regresses. It was always going to regress. I feel like it was our, our style. If you really look at it, we were really good. Like, there's a period in January where, like, no one could score on us. Okay. And after we made a trade with Porzingis, our defense kind of slipped a little bit. Like, it was still good, but it slipped. And, and no one really talked about it much. But we were already kind of on the decline. And in the playoffs, you know, we turned it up a bit. But, you know, if you see in the Warriors series, obviously we can defend anything the Warriors were doing. And I think, again, the tape was out. We played deep in the playoffs. Like, there's tape of our de- defense. And it was a lot of trapping and running around, you know, we're playing small. We played small last year, and right. it, it was taxing on the players. And they came in this year thinking, we're going to play small again, basically. And, and I mean, they got JaVale and all that, but JaVale was getting cooked. Like, JaVale couldn't hold up defensively at all. And then the wings um, regressed. That's why I don't believe Kid could have really done anything scheme-wise because we were small, and then the wings regressed. And everybody, Smith. yeah, Finney Smith regressed. He did regress a bit, but the thing is, he was a big body. So when you trade him, where even we couldn't, like, there was no one that could guard up on the roster. Like you're having Reggie Bullock guard fours. Like that's not what Reggie Bullock does defensively. He's not guarding fours. Josh Green is more on smaller guy. He was guarding big wings. Like it's all. It was all bad. It was all bad in terms of personnel. Anything on kid in the defense, Bibbs? Yeah, uh, SJ hit most of it. Like you said, I won't repeat everything she said, but I, I think it was it was everything she said. Plus, all those guys got older, and all our def- there was a point in the season like our three best defenders, Maxi Kleba, Josh Green, Dorian Finney Smith, were all injured for a stretch of time, and Dorian Finney Smith, we come to find out, was injured pretty much from the beginning of the season and was playing through it for a while before they shut him down. And you could even tell once he came back, he was looked a little bit quicker than he had previously uh, before the injury. So you look at Dorian Finney-Smith being hurt pretty much the whole year. Reggie Bullock got ran into the ground last year, and now we're asking him to guard bigger players. Maxi Kleber's body is completely falling apart. Like, I don't, I don't know if he had a stretch of five games where he was healthy this year. Really? Like he okay, fell so on that's, yeah, that's something that people wouldn't know unless you're a Mavs fan. Like, I didn't know that. I know he was hurt for a while, but. It was rough watching, like especially by the end of the year. Like Maxi looked like he was in physical pain just moving up the court. Like it, it was hard to watch, and that's my guy. So like it's, it was hard to see him like that. But then you look, we we gave him the big extension. That's a whole another story. Josh Green, the things that he did well on defense completely disappeared because what he did was he was able to roam and kind of get into passing lanes and dig on on off his man and get back. Like he was a disruptor, but when he's having to cover two people at once, he can't disrupt. <laughs> he can't do anything. By the end of the year, he was just kind of out there, and I, he couldn't even keep his man in front of him because 
and you could just tell he just wasn't comfortable. Nobody was guarding anybody, and it just got it got really bad by the end of the year. So the Kyrie trade gets made. I just want to know very quickly: Were you guys happy when it was made? Given everything that had happened, you guys finally get another star with Luca. It comes at the expense of a fan favorite and the best defender on the team, right? You want me to go first? I'll, I'll go first. Uh, I had previously been strongly anti-Kyrie because I didn't want any drama on the team, thought we had enough problems, blah, 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 blah. The day before the trade occurred, me and my co-host, me and Reese, were talking about like potential blockbuster-type trades we could do. And we were like, you know, would you trade Spencer Dinwiddie to get somebody? And I was like, I wouldn't trade Spencer Dinwiddie for unless you're getting like an all-star guard, like a Kyrie or something. And then the next thing, the next day, it was like Kyrie wants a trade. And I was like, oh, okay. And then we did it. And I was like, well, shit. Um, after it was done, I saw the vision. And the way I see it, it's three outcomes. One, he walks. We potentially have cap space to play with a little bit. Uh, two, he wants to go somewhere and we do a sign and trade. Maybe we can get some assets, some pieces, some some bodies and contract sizes that we wouldn't be able to sign due to our cap situation. And then the third option is he stays and we have Luca and Kyrie to build around. So I, I can't see a way we, let me stop. This is the Dallas Mavericks. A competent front office would not be able to lose in this situation. The Dallas Mavericks may find a way. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, Bibbs pretty much said it. I mean, for me, I didn't want to trade Dorian, period. He he was my, like, favorite player on the team, basically, at that time. Um, love him. So I just didn't want to trade him, period. But when it happened, I was still okay with the trade because, like Bibbs said, like, if you looked at all of the options, and I know a lot of people, I get it, we're, we're the, you know, laughing stock right now. It's fine. I could take the hits, right? Um, and a lot of people are even praying for further downfall. You know, people are saying, oh, he's going to walk, this and that. Um, but, I mean, here's the thing. Brunson walking, as much as I personally, I would say I didn't believe it was if you asked me a year ago now. If you asked me if he was walking, I would have told you no. Um, so, I'm, and I'm never going to predict anything Kyrie's going to ever do. Like, that's just a person. He's, I just am not going to predict anything he's going to do. But walking is the least likely, uh, out of the three options Bibbs listed, like walking is the least likely one, given that um, walking, he would have to take like significantly less. And if all the reports are saying Dallas is at least willing to offer, you know, something, you know, especially with something with more years, I think he's more inclined to take whatever we're offering than just go for like, millions like less but again i don't know i don't know what that man would ever do so yeah so kyrie irving comes to the mavs i was actually at his first game against the clippers it's on the channel you can see it and he balled out you guys played really well it looked like josh green was ready to take that dorian finney smith kind of like just guard the best player at the point of attack do those kind of things um, would you say he failed at that? Because by the end of the season, as you said, he wasn't really involved as much. Let me go back to one of your previous questions I never answered. I realize you've asked it twice and I never answered it. I had us as the five seed coming into the season. Okay. I was very at like there was a lot of talk about the Mavs being a play in team. And I was adamant that we would not be a play in team by December. I apologized for saying that we couldn't be a play in team because it was mm -hmm. very clear what, what was happening in Dallas. Um, now, getting back to <clears throat> Josh Green, he struggled with confidence, right? Last year, he had to sit down in the playoffs because he was he was scared. Um, he spent he the day after we got eliminated, he he called up the, the the trainer. He got in the lab, and one of the main things they talked about him working on was his confidence. He comes out the season, he's hooping, he's doing great off the bench. I was very quick to say he needed to be in the starting lineup. That's neither here nor there. But he got his minutes. He got his way to the starting lineup. And then we get Justin Holiday on the buyout market. He comes off the bench. He scores 15 points in a game. And Justin Holiday now is starting over Josh Green. 
So you take a guy who had no confidence, grinded, worked, got the starting job, and then you replace him with a guy off the street off of one good game. And then you expect him to just go back to being that guy again. It's like, no, you destroyed his confidence again. So I I I want I don't want to be hard on him because of that. At the same time, you're a grown ass man. You got to nut up, but that's just not how you do. That's not how you handle that. That's not how you handle that situation. You have to treat players differently based on who they are. And I think that Jason Kidd self sabotaged in that scenario. When was when would Justin Holiday get put in the starting lineup? I didn't know about this. Justin Holiday's not that good to me. His second game as a Maverick. This man, he's. Justin Holland in his debut scored 15 points. You would have thought it was 30. Who is this against? The Spurs. The San San Antonio Spurs. And Jason Kidd said, you know what? Starting lineup and took Josh out. And to be fair, here's the thing. It's not like Josh just had one bad game and then he saw Josh had kind of been slipping for a couple games. But still, you don't do that. That was a decision I did not agree with. Like when it was announced, I didn't agree with it. And obviously, Justin Holiday shit all over himself because he's not a starter in this league right now. Um, yeah. But it was all bad. It was all bad. He, yeah. He only started two games, Justin Holiday. Yes. And yeah, one of like, them was. That's, that's how bad it was. Yeah. <laughs> it was like very blatantly yeah. obvious this shouldn't have happened. And keep in mind, Jason Kidd spent the entire year talking about guys earning their minutes. So, like, guys like Christian Wood and Josh Green are coming off the bench outplaying starters. And we go a month, two months with them having to earn their minutes uh, for both of them to then lose their jobs kind of seemingly out of nowhere. And then a guy you just got off the street to earn his minutes in one game like that, that messes with the psyche of the players that messes with the locker room. Like if you've been in a team environment and everybody has this idea of what the, the expectations are and then you suddenly change the expectations. Now everybody's looking around like second guessing everything that they've been told all year. So yeah, it was it, it got ugly again fast, and I'm glad it's over. To be honest. So that being said, I guess we'll shift it over to SJ now. The Mavs are 31 and 26 at this point of the season. 31 and 26. Kyrie's just come over, just beat the Kings. Luca's about to come back. It, the Josh Green is starting with uh, Reggie Bullock, Dwight Powell, and Tim Hardaway. But I believe who, who comes out of the starting lineup there if Luca comes back? Well, it was Josh Green, wasn't it? I think they benched. Tim first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then do you guys think Josh should have stayed in the starting lineup? Because, like, who guards the best players on the other team in that instance? So they had Reggie and Josh basically out there by themselves. Like, and this is the thing. They're guarding – like, we were so small. Like, Dwight Powell is a small, like, center if you look at it. Like, he's, like, Hmm. 6'9". They say he's, like, 6'10", 6'11". That man is not no 6'11". I'll give 6'10". Maybe (laughs) 6'10", but he's about 6'9", to my eyes. So you have a 6'9", center. That's, like, power forward size. And he's not, like, the tape is there. He's not stopping anybody at the rim. Like, defensively, even last year, his value there was – being able to um, kind of keep up on a switch. And he was really good with his hands. And he, he was quick, like one of the, because he was small, a quicker, you know, he was a quicker center. Um, mm-hmm. But this year he's older. Um, again, he had a, an Achilles tear that we we're forgetting about. Right. So he, he already lost, he lost a step. So he was not good defensively, like whatsoever. And then you have that on your, like supposed to be anchoring things. And then Reggie Bullock, like we said, are guarding like fours. And you have Luca, who's not doing a goddamn thing. <laughs> like, he's, I'm sorry, he, he was not doing anything. Like, it was cute that he tried them little last two games to end this. It was cute. But um, if we're going to hold that and use that to kind of make a statement across it, no, he was horrible this season. He regressed horribly. And he's not doing a damn thing. So you already have that. And then Kyrie is like, also 6-2 at the end of the day. So, like, it was all bad. And like I said, Josh is more a uh, – like, Josh's biggest strength to me on defense, like Bibbs said, he's a disruptor. But at the point of attack, he's good at cutting off drives, right? Mm-hmm. And it works when he's, like, bigger and stronger than the ball handler. So he's good on, like, guards. When he's guarding, like, these big wings, it's it's – like, it puts him at a disadvantage too, and he picks up a lot of fouls. And that's also another reason why – kid probably didn't trust him. He was in foul trouble a lot. Mm. So it's not like he's just stinking and not doing anything on offense and just 
running around. He's also like he's disruptive, but he's just also disrupting our rhythm by fouling so much too. So it's just like he wasn't as much as we hoped that he would have been ready for the role that they were priming him for, and he showed flashes. They were just that flashes. So we should have kind of left it at flashes, but we gave him too much. And that was what I was worried about at the beginning of the season. Um, Bibbs, I don't know if you remember. I'm going to call you out right now, right here. But you wanted, like, early in the season, you wanted him to start really badly over Reggie. And granted, Reggie was dog shit. But I was concerned about him starting because I didn't want to give him too much. And, you know, obviously he went in the starting lineup. He did well for a stretch. But, again, we asked a little bit too much of him. So, And I'm not mad at him for it. So I am, me personally, I know people want to pack him up, ship him off, all that. Um, I'm not mad at him for not being ready for it. I'm not at all. The last full Mavericks game I watched for a while was when you guys lost to the Suns by just a little bit. It was on ABC. You were 33 and 32 at that point. Bibbs, obviously a large reason is the lack of defense we just talked about. But just let me know, man, to kind of end on this regular season. Why did it all go so horribly wrong? Obvious, like at that after that to that point, because that's when Kyrie Irving is going to look bad. You know what I mean? Just because he came, you gave up your best point of attack defender or just defender in general. You lose another, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie. I mean, everyone's going to paint Kyrie as this team like saboteur kind of guy. Tell me how why it went wrong. I'm glad you asked that question because um, I'm tired of seeing this narrative personally. Uh, Everything that Kyrie has done on and off the court since coming to Dallas has been positive. I There's not one thing I could say Kyrie did that caused anything to go wrong off the court. He's been, he's been pretty chill. He's had some weird tweets, but nothing too crazy. Um, he's been chill. He talks about relaxing. He's talking basketball. Like he, he's, he's been very transparent with his process. Like there's nothing weird going on that would, would cause disruption in that way. And then when you look on the basketball court, we talk about Luca's demeanor on the court. I think that Kyrie's calmness on the court and his fight, the way he was fighting, kind of got Luca's attention, I would say. And I would say that that type of veteran presence, it's weird to say Kyrie's you know, a positive veteran presence, but I think that that kind of presence around Luca could be a positive influence long-term. Um, it's probably why Luca started having, like you said, some shame by the end of the year started participating on defense because Kyrie's out there fighting and Lucas knows he looks stupid, not, not contributing to that. Uh, I, I, I don't want, people are going to say, you know, Kyrie came in and ruined your team, but you these people aren't paying attention. These people are just assuming based on his reputation. And I'll say before he came in, I told you, I didn't want him because I didn't want drama after he's come onto the team. I've had to pay some attention to him. He might have been that guy at one point in his career. I don't think he's there now. Uh, my guy Shad had an interview with with Kyrie that he wasn't supposed to have and got into the de- details. And Kyrie was very transparent, was saying, you know, I've grown up, I've matured, I've learned from past mistakes. Like this is this is this is the way I've been painted based on these are the actions I took, and at this point in my life, this is what I want. And that's one of the reasons I think we can keep him because it is a pretty chill scenario down in Dallas where he can kind of keep a low profile and not have people asking him crazy questions, trying to catch him slipping all the time. So you like Kyrie Irving. You like the Kyrie Irving experience. You don't think he should be blamed for anything. No, not Kyrie himself should not be blamed for anything. You can say the trade was tricky because we got lost DFS, which was our big, uh, big wing, big three, four got defender. But other than that, nothing Kyrie, nothing about Kyrie has been a problem. So same question for SJ about how you enjoy Kyrie basketball-wise and everything uh, as well. And I also want to bring this stat in so you can kind of expand on this. Dallas Mavericks have played 19 clutch games since Kyrie Irving debuted on February 8th in the road win I referenced against us, Clippers. And they've gone 5-14 and 14 in those situations. They're the only team in the league with 10-plus clutch losses during this span. Now, that's just when Kyrie came. And I know you've lost close games before that. And, you know, it's funny. You say that about Jason Kidd and his lack of creativity in the games. It feels like every single coach and every fan base says this about their coach, that at the end of games, it's all iso ball. And to that, I always say, when teams switch everything, you're going to have to make something happen. And 
Luca and Kyrie Irving in the past are like as good as it gets closing out games. So this is a shock to me. So let me ask you, SJ, at that point, like after you beat Philly, what went so wrong? Obviously, the obvious is you can't guard, but with the close games thing too, like how did this happen? I mean, I know the roster's not good, but you'd expect them to get as many wins as OKC or at least be a 500 team. Okay, so here's the thing about the clutch time um, woes, basically. So when you're talking about, um, like, you're, you're right in that teams, the defensive scheme at the end of the game is switch everything, right? And we're talking about that within the half-court setting. If you cannot guard anybody, you are always playing against a set defense. So if the other team is getting whatever they want in clutch time, you're going to always be playing against a set defense. So it's going to kind of look horrendous. Where you get offense in the clutch, obviously you have the tough shot makers to make the shots, but you also get those opportunities where you can get out, run a bit, um, get into your offense quicker when you get stops. But they don't get those, and they don't rebound. So it's not that if they miraculously get a stop, the, their, the other team's center just, you know, gets it. And it's it's an offensive rebound into a three. Like, every time. Like, it's, it's, wow. it's the same script. Yeah. So, like, it's just that coupled, again, coupled with the fact that when Kyrie first came, um, it was, like, just a lot of weird shit in the clutch. You know, like, it was just weird. Like, where Kyrie was cooking and Luca decides, I want to take the shot. And then them two passing it back and forth you know, between each other, deciding who was going to take the shot. It was, like, a lot of those weird things. And then that coupled with, um, again, each time it's just a, a heave. Basically, that's the only thing that can draw up, or that's the only thing that gets to me. And I know they're trying to run actions, but if everything you're trying to run always ends in a heave, you are doing something wrong as a coaching staff if you can't get anything. <laughs> like, if you, like, if you've been in this situation so many times and you can't get anything. Like, it's one thing, the only thing I remember them getting, like, a really good look in the clutch, was that the Suns game, you said, the first full game or the last full game you watched, where Luka right. just missed the shot. And to me, you can live with situations like that where your star is just missing a shot. But that was a good look to get a two when you're down one or whatever the case was. Um, yeah, I think it was, like, a two to, when we're down one. Right. And not a heave. <laughs> like, so I just think – um. At the clutch situations is luck. You know, some of it is luck, and some of it, again, is can you get stops and get into your offense quickly? And that's a, a critique of Luca. He doesn't get into offense quickly, and down yeah. the stretch, we get a lot of bad shots because of it. So, yeah. So it sounds like in, in the last game I watched, actually, was the one of the Hornets games, the, actually the home loss against the Hornets. So what I noticed is a lot of what you guys are saying. You can't guard. You have no really elite point of attack stoppers. You don't even have a Dorian Finney-Smith anymore. You're pretty small. Your two best players, at best, they can be average defenders to me. When they try, they're average. Um, but your two best players, not be, neither of them being good at defense, is pretty hard to win with unless you have great defensive personnel, uh, personnel around them, which you don't have yet. So I guess the last couple questions I have are, Luka Doncic, this obviously to me is going to end up being a bigger mark of about him than Kyrie Irving because he's been here. I mean, Kyrie Irving, yeah, he went 8-12 and 12 when he got on the team. But, you know, you guys didn't even mention too is Luka and Kyrie, weren't they injured a little bit too right after they got together? Yeah, I was going to say that um, Luka's thigh meat was falling off the bone. He tried to play for it a little while, play through it for a little while, but you could tell he could barely walk. Uh, then Kyrie has the plantar fasciitis that he's been dealing with. So both of them both have both missed games and had to play through injuries during the stretch. And they, I think Luca even said it today that they, they really haven't had a chance to really get that chemistry together. Um, and I guess he said he's hoping to, to be able to do that next year, but yeah, they just looking at the record and you know, it's easy from the outside to just look at the numbers and look at the record and blah, blah, blah. But the reality of the situation is they didn't really get a chance to really put anything together. Um, yeah, yeah. And SJ nailed it with the defense being the real reason why we couldn't close these games. Like uh, we lost one game on a Dennis Smith backdoor cut lob dunk, like just basic stuff that you just can't do. You just can't. And especially at this level, like I watched it happen. I was that was the Charlotte, second Charlotte game. 
uh, the, the seat that I was in was in line with the hoop. And I'm looking at Dennis Smith Jr. I'm looking at Tim and I was like, Dennis is going to get this shot. Like I thought he was going to get a three because Tim was not paying attention to him. And then he, he makes eye contact and runs the baseline. And that was, th- that was that. And Tim like, st- it went to commercial break. So people probably didn't notice, but Tim like stood on the court in that spot, like looking like, I can't believe I just allowed that to happen. Like pretty much half the timeout, like he just stood there on the court, like dumbfounded. Like, I can't believe I just did that. Did Tim Hardaway Jr. coming back hurt your defense? <laughs> yes. Okay. okay I just to ask. When he went down, God bless his soul. Granted, we were locking up a bit with him, but when we had when he went down, we were locking up. Like Tim loved him. I will. I love Tim, but and he has his moments where I mean the data doesn't like the data is saying that he's a good defender, but the eye test, he's probably one of the worst off ball defenders I've ever seen in my lifetime. Like. Mm. Like Bib just said, allowing it, like he does not pay attention at all, like at all. So I'm gonna go to USJ. This is my final question on this year's team. As I said with Luca, people are gonna get on him a lot for this. He missed the plan. This is the very largely, uh, I wouldn't say very largely. Brunson was a big loss, but a team that people thought should still at least make the plan. You had SGA and a team of very unrecognizable players to casual fans make it. Do you think Luca's? You talk about the defense, slow offense. If, from what it sounds like. You're telling me that Luca should also be held accountable as well. I mean, Luca came out and said that I haven't played good enough defense. Clearly, the team around him isn't good enough to do anything serious. So I'm guessing you guys don't mind really missing the play-in because he probably would have lost in the first round. The argument people make, and me as a Clipper fan, I know best, you can never count against this guy in the playoff series. He just gives you a chance. Luca's numbers look crazy. Did he get any worse, SJ? Or, or should he held accountable or both, whatever? He didn't get worse. And here's the thing. People think this is, and people are saying this is a career year, you know, career high in points, all that. But the thing is, I predicted a career high in points. Like, the roster was set up for him to have a career year in points. Like, I think I predicted 32, too. I said he's going to average 32, and he averaged 32. So there we go. Um, At least one thing I got right. But um, (laughs) in terms of like he, the defense was not good all year, right? His defense. And last year was he year. passable? Wasn't he? That's was a big narrative last year. Last year he was kind of passable. Last year he was passable when he came back from that ankle, that ankle sprain when he missed all those games, and that's the thing. It was like also reported that he, his ankle was fine. Like they held, also held him out for conditioning purposes, all that. When he came back, he was pretty. He was pretty good, pretty much up until the playoffs, where you know. That game two, they, you know, versus the Suns, he was pretty bad. And then he, you know, picked it up a bit. And in the playoffs, he was pretty much up and down. But definitely to start this year, he regressed. And the thing is, I just think, I mean, he has to shoulder some responsibility, yes, because like Bib said, he was there all year. Like, um, as much as the team couldn't win a damn game without him, he was also present for a lot of the losses. Like, he was there. Um, some of the defense, like I said, um, that Suns game we keep bringing up, but he let Ish Wainwright like melt his face off <laughs> like <laughs> from three, and like it was like, and then people were thinking, "Oh, it's the game plan. It's the game." No, no like <laughs> yes, it's the game plan, but like also like he, you at at a certain point, you can get a little bit quicker with your closeouts. You know what I mean? And it was just like no type of urgency on that end. And you know, he says he's, you know, it's hard because he's tired and he plays all that, but. You're not tired enough for offense. I mean, you average 32. So at the end of the day, um, and where he has to take accountability there is I understand you're tired and the schedule, the international schedule, you know, caused you to play all this basketball. And I don't believe that the Mavs as an org should ever tell him that he can't play for his country. Like if he decides to sit out, that should be his decision. And he says he's always going to play. So to me, if you know what the schedule is going to be, it wasn't a secret. They didn't hide anything from him. He knew like he was going to play. And if you were also expecting to do something in the NBA, you should know that the schedules are going to be tight. And in order to mitigate some of those things, you cannot fucking smoke like a chimney. <laughs> um, that's one idea. Or maybe not eat like a maniac. That's another idea. Um, and he's not doing those things to mitigate some of that um, issue. So that's where he needs to take responsibility and I think missing the plane as much as it's embarrassing all this I think it's just good for him personally um and he just takes what everyone says takes it on the chin and I think he's going to 
this is going to be better for him moving forward. I think this is like as much as we acknowledge this is a Mavs problem from a roster construction perspective and they have to get better, he also needs to kind of um, mold himself into that like player, like really. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that was good stuff. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say he hasn't been as much of a leader. He complains so much. That's another thing that stuck out to me. He complains so much. Um, and when, when you – yeah, even when you take a step up defensively as a leader, especially with how much he has to carry offensively, it's just – I always say it has a trickle-down effect. And I don't know, man. I know you have a big low to carry offensively, but it's hard when teammates see you do that. It feels like they can slack off on that end as well. Um, but, yeah, it definitely makes a big difference when your leader plays with that kind of defense. Bibbs, you had anything on that um, before yeah. we close it out? I'll add a little bit. Uh, so, historically, Luca is a slow starter who picked it up over the course of the year. This year was the complete opposite. He came out of the gates on fire, and then it was early in the season. Jason Kidd says we can't keep playing like this. Or we're going to wear him down, and they wore him down. His body fell apart, and his effort waned as the season went along. And so, usually, we go into the offseason with Luca you know, going out on fire and, you know, he's the greatest and he's gone this trajectory. Now we get to see, all right, he, we're going to analyze his, his flaws are going to be under a microscope all summer. And as, as he made it clear, he reads what people are saying about him. Uh, I think it's going to be good for him as well. I think he's, he, he either is going to get in the lab and try to tone down a lot of those deficiencies, the, the bringing the ball up slowly, not being in shape, uh, arguing with refs constantly, uh, the body language with the teammates, yep, doing the LeBron and yelling at teammates for his mistakes, stuff like that. Like, you can't you can't be doing that type of stuff, and I'm hoping that he gets in the lab and cuts some of that out. I don't expect him to come back perfect, but right. you got to show growth at the bare minimum. Yeah, it was funny. I was watching a clip from him in one of the early games this season. He looks slimmer, man. He really gained weight. Like, when you go back to that and then look at it recently, he really gained. Um but by the way, so before I ask you my last question, one uh, I have a conviction. I told you about this in the chat, Bibbs. If you don't make the playoffs and you're expected to make the playoffs, especially if you have a star, you can't be in my top five for that year. Luca was in my top five last year. He's not in this year. Where would you guys put – if you had to pick a top five players in the league as of this season right now, who would you go with? And you can say Luca too. You can oppose me. <laughs> I gotta put you on the spot. Come on. Can we all agree? Uh do we have I don't I don't know. I have Jokic and Embiid. I'm sorry, Jokic and Giannis top three. Do you guys have Jokic and Giannis top three? Uh, uh, Jokic or not in that order. Giannis is my number one for sure. Giannis, yeah, my number one Giannis is my number one too. So Giannis is there. Think, I still think Curry's in there somewhere. Curry's there. Curry has to be there, I think. Um cool. and I think Jokic has to be there too, and I think right. Embiid has shown he has yeah. to be there as much as you know. I don't know. But that's um, a strong four. That's a, a strong. That's a strong four. four, and I mean for that fifth spot, Kevin Durant, KD. I think it has to be KD. So that's, that's my yeah, yeah. That's my top five. Last year it was just I had Luca over Embiid because the thing about Luca is even though when Embiid's dominant, he can affect the game in more ways. Luke, as a pick and roll ball handler, I think you have some advantages in today's NBA of like being able to create everything because it's not as much of a like throw it to your big league. But Luca has those signature playoff moments, playoff series. I'm still waiting for that with Embiid. He always gets hurt in the playoffs. Luca last year, like that was legendary. So like I, I think Luca's stock was a little bit higher at that time. But yeah, three straight regular seasons. Embiid's been a top three player in the last three regular seasons. I'll give him the edge. Um, and yeah, Luca and Jason Tatum though, right next for me after that. We'll see what Kawhi does in the playoffs. He can he can he can enter that, but we got to see what he's doing in the playoffs. And so my last question to end you guys with is where do you go from here? What do you do in the offseason to get this team to championship contention next season and you know rewrite all this garbage? Go S say first. Um well I mean honestly I don't think they will be in championship contention next year. And that's the thing. I personally think that's fine. I know they're in rush mode, but I don't think it's I don't think it's as championship or bust as people are making it seem. Now I do think they need to at least at, at the very least get to the second round of you know next year. But I think it's more so of a conference finals, can you get to the finals type of thing? What can you do there and what more can we add? Because I don't think what they're what they have right now is fixable in one offseason. It's not, especially this upcoming one, it's not fixable. So I think 
with this pick, it looks like there's a good chance we'll keep it unless Silver is upset that we didn't go all out, whatever. But um, good chance we keep it. So if we keep it, all reports are saying that they're probably going to trade it. So we got to see what, I mean, granted, this is what they said about the Kings last year too, that they were going to trade their pick and then they went, you know, with a guy who has contributed, you know, to their team. And I think personally they should try to follow that right and not saying that there's a Keegan Murray there we could just pluck off. But I think there's value in using the draft and that shouldn't be your only avenue. You should also use your offseason. And now the Kings were in a better spot than we were in terms of money and tradable assets and all that. But we do have things to work with, I believe. So they don't pay me the money to, you know, figure this shit out. So they better figure it out. And I'm watching them. And they paid this cap guy and they paid this person. And this. Now it's time for them to... They're in a mess. It's a mess right now. So it's, it's time for them to dig, dig themselves out. I forgot to mention that pick thing. The, the Mavs not making the playoffs ensures them a top 10 pick. If they had made the play, and I'm sorry, they would not have had the top 10 pick. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Not ensures. 80%. Not ensures. Just a good chance. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So most likely you'll have it, though. Should we bet on the fact they'll have it? Silver could be upset that that, that I mean, yeah we don't know Ooh. but it's it's just it's just annoying. Um, Kid coming back like, next year, guys. I initially would be a hundred percent yes, but after Mark Cuban came out and said he's coming back, I have to I my my, my confidence has gone down because if Mark Cuban is adamant and loud about something, he's usually lying. So maybe not. Um, and. Yeah. I, Sources have said that somebody major is going to be let go. Uh, somebody key pivotal is going to be let go. So we'll see who that person ends up being. And it could end up being Jason Kidd. If you had a choice between Harrison and Kidd, which one, one goes, who would you pick? Kidd? I think I Kidd. I don't know enough about Nico. Yeah. Nico hasn't shown enough for me to want to just can okay. so quickly. So it seems like you guys are more anti-Cubans moves than than Harrison. Yes. Okay. If I could get rid of Mark Cuban, I'd be in heaven. Yeah. Wow. Really? Even the championship owner? <laughs> I also – I know – I mean, I want to say, Dirk, that 2011 ring really saved his perception. And that was a tough ring to win. I can't remember who I was listening to. Oh, I was listening to, I think, Dwight and SJ, the last episode. Uh, and Dwight laid it out. He was like – Cuban has failed up and failed like he's failed into success multiple times. And you look at what you look at what Dirk did. There's an argument that could be made that Dirk should have had multiple rings that we didn't put enough around him throughout the time. And even getting Tyson Chandler for that championship run was dumb luck for the most part. You didn't bring him back either. And he had two, three, two really good years left in him. And Mark Cuban. My my thing has always been Mark Cuban. After he got the ring, he turned to, I want my fantasy team. Like after 2011, it went from I want a championship to I want a fantasy team. Like I want multiple superstars, and he just went all in on that and forgot all about all the the aspects of building a team, running a franchise from a talent and asset management standpoint. It just went to I got to get this 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 two superstar situation going. Um, up to 2011, love Mark Cuban. Since then, by 2015, I started to turn on him, and at this okay. point, I'm I'm completely over him as the owner of the franchise. I, bare minimum, I would like for him to stop being so on the ground with decision making. Sign the checks, give the final approval, but I don't need you scouting talent or making personnel decisions. Like I need him to take doing too much. What was that? Doing too much. 100. percent And the talking in the media. Come on, man. Man, well, so clearly the situation is not great in Dallas. Uh, in conclusion, team couldn't guard. You traded your best defender, brought your two best players who at best, if they try their hardest, are average defenders. I would say to everybody, I'm not biased at all. This channel's not biased to Kyrie Irving or biased against him. I've been very critical of him at times. I think this is pretty harsh, the criticism that he's received uh, with this team not making the playoffs. Uh, I think I love that you guys were candid and honest about Luca, the leader. You know, a lot of people in today's society don't want to say anything negative about the face of their franchise. Um, and it's clear, you know, no matter how many Luca apologists are out there, that he could have been a little bit better. And obviously, but the biggest, and I think everybody agrees on this, the biggest problem is 
the team didn't improve this summer. You come up at Western Conference Finals, the team didn't improve, and you make a trade that leaves you with some clear holes. Clearly, Jason Kidd did not have the best season, and what you have is the most disappointing Dallas Mavericks season since 2007, I would say. Chief. I think I'm right on that. Chief. I think I'm right on that. But let everybody, hey, this is great stuff, though, guys. I appreciate all the context, all the info. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Let me know what you thought of the episode. Guys, let them know where they can find you. SJ, you can go ahead, uh, go first. Yes, I can be found uh, on Twitter at SJBasketball8. And again, 21 going on 77 on streaming platforms. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Bibbs Corner. Uh, all things basketball. And then, you know, if you're into movies, you, you like movie reviews, have you seen S-C-E-N-E is the podcast for the movie reviews. Appreciate you guys. Give them a follow. Check out their stuff. Coming up this week, going to have even more playoff previews with content creators just like these uh, with their respective teams. You already know what time it is, Clipper Nation. It is almost that time. We're back after a year gone. Dime Dropper. It's coming back in the playoffs. L.A. Kings, L.A. Lakers, L.A. Clippers. We are going to be lit. Everybody, have a great day.